0: and welcome to another episode of Exploring Kodawari. This week's episode is part two of our conversation with trumpet player, Chris Coletti. If you haven't heard part one yet, you might want to go back and listen to last week's episode first to get the full context, or you could just keep listening and that's fine too. Especially if you're here for the more geeky trumpet stuff, this half of the conversation had way more of that than part one did. Anyways, in this part, we discuss trumpet pedagogy and sound production, especially the idea that almost always doing less gets you more which is a concept that I think applies to so many non-trumpet things in life as well. We also talked about Buddhism, spaceships, Chris's professional whistling, and many other random topics. If you're wondering what a professional whistler is, then you'll just have to listen to find out. Don't forget to check out our website where we have various articles posted. You can also sign up for our newsletter to get an email from us every few weeks. The newsletter contains updates, quotes, inspiring YouTube videos, or whatever else we feel like sharing. And finally, if you want to support what we're doing here, consider making a donation through the PayPal links on our website. It will help us to keep this thing going and growing. That's it for now. Thanks for listening, and enjoy part two of our conversation with Chris Coletti So um, speaking of all of this stuff, what's your like teaching philosophy? like ha- do you like find that you bring this kind of stuff? Like obviously, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is that, as, even though you're an amazing trumpet player you you can you know play ball in this arena of just all these different topics that come up philosophy science and stuff do you incorporate that into your teaching or is, is that just a a side pleasure for you you know what I mean
1: <laughs> I hope that it enhances it um, I, I obviously there's some students that aren't gonna find it interesting and therefore it's not worth it mm-hmm. but um but i I love I I, I'm always so impressed with my students that they're so smart and inquisitive and well-spoken and like, I wasn't a good student when I was a student, you know, I was a good trumpet student, but that was about it. Right. Um, I don't think I was as well-rounded at that that age. So I'm always impressed at how much they're able to make connections with things. So I find that it is, it is useful. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, Yeah. I, I, I think I'm still on the stage of wondering how much I should go off like that. I've gone way off and, and, and to see if it works. And I've tried the really simple, like, um, Arnold Jacobs, like, just take a breath, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. And sometimes that works better. Yeah. And so I, I don't know if I have a, of like a shtick yet. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think I think what's what would be fair to say though is that purely technically speaking I think I want to make a mark (laughs) in in coming up with a a way of teaching flexibility because Mm. like and for those that aren't brass players flexibility meaning quickly being able to, to, to like navigate through the harmonic series and so I think just philosophically or what historically it's just obviously that that's what the trumpet really just it is because that's right. what it always was until very very recently right and we get lost in the the um, the number of skills that we need to de- to develop and they're not really that important compared to that really
0: i i agree like it's like that's the fundamental and the other stuff fits inside of that
1: exactly it's like what's hard about trumpet Making a sound. And what's the next <laughs> hardest thing? Doing it on more than one note. Yeah. That's what's hard about the trumpet. That's the only thing that's hard about the trumpet. There's three valves. You can figure out the fingerings in one week and, like, master them, you know? Yeah. It's not hard. And and unlike other instruments that are really hard for other reasons, but a piano, you could play on your first day. You can't play the trumpet on your first day. Totally. You know, that's not a that's not playing the trumpet. It's, it's just almost like
0: cruel to, like, yeah. make young fourth graders try to start trumpet because, like yeah. – they, I, I, so I've now, I start when I start a, a young fourth or fifth grader on trumpet, I just tell them and the parents before we start, I don't know how fast you'll learn this, but don't be surprised if you can't make a sound within a few weeks. Like it might yeah. take you a month to even make a sound,
1: it to make any noise. Yeah. It took me a couple of weeks for sure. <laughs> so I'm teaching, this is something that I'm really enjoying. And I think I'm su- almost surprised about it because I always thought that like I wanted to be teaching the next. Witten Mars Solace of trumpet. Uh-huh. That was what I wanted to be as oh, a teacher. I, yeah. Right. And and I just, I've, uh, and so now because, you know, a lot of people are tired and all that with all the um, things going on, I'm teaching a class for trumpet, for non-trumpet majors that are ed majors that have to learn trumpet in seven weeks and they have to play a th- level three Ms. solo. Like, oh, wow. Be, I was told that I was going to teach this. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, that's not possible. I mean, they already know how to read music. They're already musicians. You know, sure, so, yeah. So it's a huge up. Op- well, um, so
0: at least you can focus all that energy on sound production and breathing. Just and, sound. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And but and, and then I got super lucky because there's a couple of brass players, and there, but there's one flutist and one one sax player. But I just, I've, I had to dig deep. I was like, I don't know how to teach that. Like, I don't know <laughs> how to do that. Like, I didn't really know how to do it then. And I still don't know how to, And so, I, and I looked up a lot of stuff and I started thinking really hard, like over the summer about how I do things. And I'm, and I'm loving it. And, and I still think that flexibility should be the, the focus. Um, I mean, eventually. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but the weird thing I've no. noticed is that,
0: um, everyone does flexibility exercises, but that's often the birth of their bad habit because yeah, they're not the, actually the, doing the, it. something in the throat usually for my students closes off and they form this habit of going, playing from a lower note to a higher note. <sighs> something clamps down and then when the air is not flowing other bad habits and there's a cascading effect of bad habits and then they come to you after a one semester of their you know middle school band and they're like why can't my kid play it's like uh oh we gotta go in there and take apart some of that wiring and and can we just start over
1: literally wiring and that's exactly right i mean yeah so and so what i wanted to so i had this (laughs) this is the moment that i had it oddly enough i I taught my wife how to ride a bike which i thought was Uh um i'm really proud of it because before we got married i was really into doing triathlons and i got into it through a love of bike cycling and and she had never ridden a bike ever and i just was like well, it'd be nice to go go out to the park you know in new york city in the park on the bike is amazing just riding around on the bike in the city is amazing so and she would refuse to learn she was so petrified and it turned out it's because she had fallen I was like a little two-year-old or something on off, off a tricycle and her parents were doing construction so they had like deck nails and stuff and one punctured her cheek and uh-huh. totally freaked her out. Like no, nothing with the wheels. And so I, when I wanted to go teach her, I wanted to teach her the way I was taught which is the way almost everyone is taught. At least yeah. they were in our generation which is like, you know, you're kind of like, you do training wheels, and then you hold on to the back of the bike, and they're going fast enough until they have enough momentum that they—it's almost—they yeah. don't fall over, and they don't even realize you're not holding on. Right, but
0: then right, they right. crash
1: because they don't know how to do anything else. Yeah, and obviously, she just would not get on the bike if that was the way I was going to do it. And so mm-hmm. I had to—I looked it up. I just googled it, and REI, the sporting goods store, uh-huh. had an amazing video that talked about. And anyone that knows this method, it's like it seems so obvious, but basically, you like turn your bike into a balance bike. And they broke it into these steps. First, you just like basically walk with the balance bike, you know, just take the pedals off so your feet can touch the ground, they get comfortable. And once they're able to do that and have their feet and like they're kind of scooting around so their feet are in the air for like a second at a time, put the pedals on. And then after they're doing it for three seconds, put your foot on the pedal, then on the floor, foot on the pedal, foot on the floor. And then you teach them how to use the brakes. And by the time they're on there with their pedals and actually using them, it's not hard. You don't have to fall. Like all the myths you have to fail to succeed are kind of BS. Like, that's not failing. You fail to succeed
0: if you just dive right into something, right? If you dive
1: right in, right. And even that, you don't really want to say it's failing, but falling counts as failing. It sucks, right? I
0: mean, definitely, I remember, I mean, we always did it on the grass. Like, each one of my brothers that learned how to ride a bike, we we would go up to the school and do it on a big field of grass so that when you fall, you just get mud on your elbow, not, like, totally cut up.
1: Yeah, that's great. It was definitely scary.
0: But once you're up, there's this thrilling feeling.
1: So but I don't know if she had that thrilling feeling because she never fell. Like, she's never fallen on a bike. So, I taught her. And, like, once I started doing this method instead of the way I was taught, like, 30 minutes later, literally. And granted, it is an adult. So, she wasn't like, <laughs> I don't – because I tried to do this with my two-year-old and it didn't work. Because <laughs> he's just like, I don't want to do this bike. It has no pedals. Screw yeah. this. You know? Bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but um so i i did it did it and literally 30 minutes later she was riding around the block then we went up going this was in staten island where my parents lived then we went up going to a park we did like a victory lap and a month later she did the new york city triathlon wow it was like that doesn't exist for flexibility sure that was the realization like and and literally i don't know any uh, how often I can see a college level trumpet player that are able to lip, tr- lip trilling is should be the benchmark. That's what I think. Right, right. And even if you don't really have to have to do it, if you can do it, that means that you're using your air in a way right. that you can do anything. And right. if you can't do that, it's like playing a piano at a museum where you got to jump from <laughs> step to step and you can play it and you're going to be really accurate, yeah. but you're not going to be able to play any rep. It's just right. going to hurt. It's going to be tiring. It's going to be your sound won't be as good. Yeah. And so, yeah, th- that I would say is the only thing that is spiel like <laughs> about Yeah, I know what you
0: mean. Do. That's interesting about the bike thing. Like, I, so, um, I think what's happening maybe with, with trumpet that seems to be unique, I don't know if this is true with violin teaching, but it's like we're dealing with muscles that we don't use much in our other activities in life. Right. So like the, the muscles that you balance on a bike, they're obviously very specific usage, but it's not so different than what I'm doing to stay balanced on this stool right now, you know, cause I'm just right. holding my body up. So like the whole upper body part, and then you just have to learn like the weight distribution. And it's the other thing is maybe it's so subconscious on a bike. You literally could never consciously coordinate that much stuff. And when we go to trumpet, we think like. Okay, I'm going to make my lips like this and the mouthpiece and then I'm going to move. And we make it so conscious that maybe that's where all that stiffness and tightness comes from is we make it too conscious instead of like, you have a goal. Don't fall off the bike. See what happens, (sighs) you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And then even breaking it into steps, like just make your feet go in the air for like two seconds mm-hmm. once you do that then you get a prize you get the pedals right so and that's what i'm trying to think like what is what kind of exercise because like for me i would have succeeded if i write an exercise that without having any instruction they open the book and they do it and you can't do it wrong mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so like so far i think the best i have is an exercise is that is i think it needs instruction unfortunately because it's not easy to notate how you know the difference between right and wrong but the but the strength is that if you're doing it wrong you can't do it at all right so at least it's it's not just a test it's not just a litmus test to see like whether you can do it because that wouldn't be that that's helpful too but that's not really what we're going for but it's it's enough that i can say like all right if you hear this you're doing it wrong if you're doing it like this if it feels like this it's right right and just go for that right and then at least you can mess with it without having to be like hyper coached Right, But it's still not perfect because you need code. you do need coaching. And some people get it right away, but some people really don't get it, and i I
0: I definitely have the students where it's just like a puzzle. i I never figure them out, you know. Uh, yeah. I mean,
2: you guys are dealing with such like abstract concept also, like for us, <laughs> like it's so hands on. You cannot right. touch someone's breath. Like, how do you even teach that? It's I can't see so the crazy. air.
0: I can't see inside the mouthpiece. I can't see any of the muscles inside yeah. the body that are messing with the airflow. Yeah. I can't. I mean, obviously, you can't see people's brains either. So
1: that's a <laughs> I, I can't see their brains. I can't see their... <laughs> I can't smell their thoughts. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I, have you seen any of Charlie Porter? This is very trumpety. I don't know how trumpet you want to get. But Charlie Porter is an amazing trumpet player, Grammy winner and everything. And um, he has some videos on basics that I think are some of the best I've ever seen. Oh, I haven't
0: seen them. I should check them out.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, he has, like, one on armature. It's, like, an hour long Mm -hmm. that I, like, was definitely watching. And then he has a book about it, how to form an armature. And I bought it because, like, I didn't know. He has a four-step process. And, like, and I think that for – Forming an armature because I did this in my first day of the class, mm-hmm. and and I and, and it's not a perfect test because again some of them were brass players, but it was amazing. I was like I didn't think they were going to make a sound for a couple of weeks, and then by like week six they were supposed to be doing their solo, preparing for their audition on the seventh week,
0: uh-huh. and
1: every one of them was able to play like from C to A. I was like this is not normal, guys. And There was one person she's a flute player that was like great right yeah. but not that not now like have and she was like wondering if she has any issues of like no you are doing awesome yeah they are not normal like this is not <laughs> supposed to work yeah. but he has this step this four-step process and he actually successfully because i've always had con- uh, wondered whether you should avoid talking about what you're physically doing altogether. Mm-hmm. and there's a lot of justification for that right yeah you don't know what yep. you're doing and then you're describing it maybe inaccurately and then they're interpreting it and doing it themselves right. trying to manipulate a part of their body that they've never consciously controlled before it's like it's a terrible <laughs> game of telephone yeah but he somehow describes it like he does a diagram of lips and of muscles behind the lips and like basically it says like these muscles are pulling up but these muscles are pulling in mm-hmm. and like but you can't pinch them because then there's no air but if it's too far apart then there's no vibration and it's right. like it needs to be like the perfect, And he, I don't know. I just literally did his technique and it worked. And it worked. And I, I was like, okay, that's what I need for some flexibility. I'm going to check I, that me, out
0: then. Because yeah. I, I one of the things I love about teaching is you just try, you, you guinea pig yeah. stuff on your students, you know. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just want to help. It's, whatever, I'll do whatever.
0: Well, and, and also so, so all the students are different. So you actually yeah. have to and should be trying out different things and just seeing what works for what type of learner. Like I definitely have students where – I just go, "Let's take a breath." <sighs> All right, now do that into the trumpet, you know? And then they make a sound. I'm like, "Cool, let's let's keep building on that. Like if it's working, I don't want I don't want to lift up the hood Nothing. and see what's under there. Just let it work, you know?"
1: Exactly. Yeah. And then yeah.
0: other kids just they take a breath like that. "Cool, let's try it in the trumpet." And they go, <gasps> you know, and they yeah. try to squeeze everything out, and I'm like, "All right, we're going to have to try something different here." <laughs> just it's like the use your natural instinct thing is not going to work, you know? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah.
1: Whatever you do, do exactly the opposite of what <laughs> yeah, yeah. you think you should be doing. Oh,
0: like, it's oh, that, uh, the Paul Rudd scene in, um, um, what movie was that? He's teaching somebody how to surf and he's trying to say like, all right, getting up is the hardest part. So let's just practice that on the sand a few times. He's like, all right, now I want you to do it. Make it very effortless, go. And he gets up, he's like, that's not it at all. Let's try it again, do less. And so the guy gets up a little slower and he's like, no, you're doing too much. You got to do less. And then finally it gets to the point where he's like, all right, I want you to get up, but don't do anything, do nothing. And the guy is just just laying there. He's like, yeah, that's not it. You're just lying there. You got to do more than that. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like I use that model of teaching a lot where I'm like, you need to do less. Less is more. You're trying so hard, (laughs) do less. And then like, they don't use any air. And then I'm like, you got to do more though.
1: (laughs) it's really hard to describe you're right yeah yeah is violin like like that
0: at all like do you have to like think about sound like that in the beginning or you're just like in the
2: beginning it's just it's ridiculous like there's nothing really sound like you don't talk about sound at all it's just all technical i mean at least that's how i was like started by my teacher so that's what i do because like you need to have like your technique in order to have sound in the future. And that's Mm -hmm. what we focus at first, which is really boring. And and
0: there's too many deal breakers probably in the beginning of violin.
2: And then like, kids don't get it. I got a mustache. You know
1: what? I'm not so sure about this. Uh, Play the trumpet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's hard. I mean, they don't get it. Like why I just, you know, get so frustrated with things or like why they have to do things a certain way. So I think it can get really boring. I think for kids. So,
1: Mm. At least they're making a sound because it's even more boring when you're doing all that and there's nothing coming out. Really that's pain true. Pain and frustrating.
2: Right. Discouraging. That's true.
0: It's, it's. I mean, it's just every instrument's weird. You made a comment right. about piano earlier, and that's totally yeah. true. I, I always go, look, piano's easy, right? I yeah. go, the hard part of piano is way down the road and the, the subtlety of touch and sound and articulation and all that stuff. But
1: Being able yeah, to play the a repertoire beginning? That's not human. Like, I think if aliens came to Earth, they're going to be impressed with... <laughs> Two things: one is the level that, like, a decent violin player can play at, and two is the level that a def- decent viol- piano player can play. You're like, they're all humans, and that's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. humans can do that. Like, that's <laughs> Our, part of the human skill. Yeah, what the yeah. hell is that? It's ridiculously <laughs> <And then, laughs> polished. Yeah, it's insane. Like, call, like high school student, like good high school students, not even amazing ones, playing like even if they're hacking through Tchaikovsky guitar, that's freaking ridiculous. Right. We're not doing that on the trumpet.
0: Yeah, it's true. I mean, it. We're, we're we're the the best. Like high school version is where you go. Wow, that kid has a sound. You know,
1: <laughs> he has a nice low C. Yeah, yeah, now yeah that yeah. guy's got promise. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's true. Our, our, I mean, so when you look at youth orchestras, right? The the strings are always really young, and the brass are often in college. college. Even though it's a youth orchestra. <laughs> when I was in New yeah, York Youth Symphony, I was. Um, I was in it my senior year of high school and the whole brass section were undergrads at Juilliard and then all the string players were
1: like 14. I'm like, what's going on here? (laughs) It's very straight. Although I have to say that's one of the cool things about music is that I never felt like age bias. Like I have friends in their 70s and you know, students that I feel like they're, I don't feel like I'm talking to someone that's younger.
0: Totally, yeah,
1: I know what you mean. Which is, it's cool. I think that the fact that normally in school you're placed based on age is so not, I mean, like if you've got, any experience with kids, which you guys do like what do you want to do when you want your four year old to behave? You don't put him in a room with four year- olds That's the right. worst thing you could possibly do. That's when they're get a completely fucking bonkers. yeah like <laughs> that's funny. But it is weird that that's the normal way to separate people out by age. It's like a terrible indicator of how they are going to perform at any given skill, too. It really yeah. makes no sense.
0: I mean, it's for me, I totally, I loved they being around so older hype. people when I was in high school. Like, me too. And in my undergrad, at, I did my undergrad at Stony Brook. And, you know, like, I was the only undergrad in the trumpet studio. The rest were masters or doctoral students. So I was hanging around 26, 7, 8-year-olds, and I was like yeah. 19, 20 it was a little bit awkward socially, but at the same time, like I just fit in better with yeah. those guys than, than with the, you know, kids that were undergrads. I, I don't know. I just, some. you're right. Age is just a bad, a bad way. But luckily in music, it's like, if you're, if you're getting along and, and you play well together, that that's what matters, you know?
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Ready for some bonus questions? Finish us oh, up.
1: Pfft, I thought that was the bonus question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's see.
0: All right. So I saw in your bio, you're a professional whistler. Yes. Now, the funny enough, like my teacher at Stony Brook, Kevin Cobb, talked about whistling all the time and its connection to trumpet playing. Oh, nice. Um,
1: there, yeah, it's very
0: connected. Speaking of all this stuff with balance of air and, and response and sound and stuff, but you want to tell me what that means? You're a professional whistler? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah. What do you think? If you were to, to draw up like, well, yeah, you're not a professional whisher, whistler unless you've done this, what would it be for you?
0: I, I would say because this almost always happens when I Google something I didn't know about. Like I didn't know that there was an Aeropress competition until I bought an Aeropress. You know,
1: right, right. right. I
0: didn't know there were barista championships, so I'm guessing there are whistling championships, just like there are Rubik's cube and, and all it must this stuff. Be, yeah. So did you right. win a whistling competition? Is that what you're saying?
1: No, I did. No, I and no, that's interesting that you brought that up. No, I never actually did one of those, and there are whistling. Cha- uh, I knew it. Championships. <laughs> um, And I've I've googled those before because at one point I was like I'm pretty freaking good at this. This is like (laughs) I I don't really whistle that much because my actually my wife hates it. Although I used it, that's how we met, and she loved it then.
0: You're just (laughs) walking around the kitchen like.
1: (laughs) I was whistling all the time. Yeah, and my roommate (laughs) for years we lived together. I think almost ten years. So and I we I moved there when I was in high school. It was really cool. When I, I had an unusual cool situation my parents were okay with me moving away when i was in high school uh-huh. so my senior year of high school i had my own place on the on oh, the east, side, mid- that's east awesome. side it was amazing yeah i was sick <laughs> nice <laughs> but it made sense cuz i was going to school in the city Anyway, it wasn't yep. like it was nothing bad i just it made sense and so um i was and he was wh- whistling constantly too we were just like there was whistling going all the time and we were whistling hard things we would like open up scores of the b minor mass and you know read off the clefs to like get our transposing up and like whistle through stuff oh, yeah. all the time and i started thinking like man i'm pretty good at this and i googled championships and it's impressive <laughs> yeah. but it wasn't like I was like, I, I can do that. Like, if I decided to do that, I could totally do that. Sure, it wasn't didn't feel far off, but it is amazing, and I, I don't mean to discount it because I did do that, and you should Google it. Right, right. And, and I don't even remember the names because I haven't been into it because my wife really hates whistling now. It Sucks, <laughs> but um, when you'll I you'll need way more cottage, mattresses around <laughs> you to join whi- a whistling. <laughs> competition. I surrounded by mattresses. I do need more mattresses.
2: Um,
1: no, I but I've I've whistled on a lot of commercially available recordings, but but it was oh, okay. it's sort of cheating because it's all almost all of them are uh, like Canadian brass albums that you know we I had to say and what we did and I right. thought it was a good idea and it sounded cool. Yeah. So, so I'm would you say
0: it. you have a great whistling tone, or is it just like the flexibility, or like you have perfect pitch? Right. It could just be that that's a big factor too.
1: Um, I think I, I when I was really at my best, I, I had really good. Yeah, I had really good intonation in really technical passages. So I I could do, like, I would do violin partitas. And so, like, so I met my wife doing the E major violin partita by Bach. Oh, yeah. The
0: <laughs> That's our intro music for this, right? Yeah. yeah. The,
2: gavotte yeah. And the
0: gavotte from the E major is the the intro music we just I can't even find a high
2: it. E, though. Nope. I can't.
1: Nope. Yeah, but I, so, and I would go through it, and I... And there's a lot of videos that I don't know. It was like before people just put everything online, but I, I was a student at like Lucerne Festival
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: for two years in Switzerland. And, and there was like this really beautiful in the KKL concert hall, like water flowing under this like pathway. It's hard to describe. It was really amazing, but it sounded nice, perfect for whistling. Oh, nice. And there was people, whenever we would have our like late night, you know, walking on the streets. We'd go in there because we had special access, and they would film me whistling that. I also could sing really high. That was another thing that they would uh-huh. make videos of me doing that <laughs> yeah, professionally. All right. Now I know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next question? Should I ask it? Oh, um, what's the most memorable concert experience for you and why that you came um, this
1: is another one that's hard to say because there's been so many, you know, Ryan Anthony recently passed away, um, yeah. amazing trumpet player, was in Canadian brass for years and was uh um, principal trumpet in Dallas. And he just like an amazing guy. And he there was a concert where my wife before we were married, my wife was always over the top with gifts, but she gifted my mom for i think it was for her birthday she flew her down to dallas because we were playing canadian Press was playing as solos with the dallas symphony
2: mm-hmm. and the
1: hall cool we had like three performances too it was like kind of a big it kind of felt like a big deal and um and he came out and performed on stage with us and he did penny lane and like we did the whole it was amazing so we had like three trumpets with the quintet in front of the orchestra for oh, the nice. last piece because like, it's a surprise yeah and i noticed he had a hospital bracelet on it on But I didn't. I didn't really think of it. I was just like trying to play, you know. Mm-hmm. But and I wasn't really that close to them. That was, I think, that maybe one of the first times I met him. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that was the day he turned out that he was told that he had like literally a couple months to live. Right. And he lived like eight years longer. So yeah. I, I don't even know. It was amazing. So that looking back was one. And but I'm a little also embarrassed to admit that the one that I just can't kick, no matter how many we've so many concerts. Like I think it was over a thousand concerts I've done with them. And, um, but the one we did on this TV show, it was way earlier in my career, it was the Hunan special TV show. It's like the most watched television show in the whole world. Now it's got a billion viewers on one shot. Billion. Well, I'm not one of them. I've never heard of it. Yeah. Me either. (laughs) I didn't either. I didn't even, I mean, I had no idea. Yeah, it's crazy. And at the time, that was half a billion. That was the numbers that was normal. Uh-huh. That, I mean, like the Super Bowl is like a big year when it's 340, at least then. Now I yeah. think the numbers are up for everything, which is crazy. It was just crazy. I mean, it's like. And, it's just weird and, to
0: know that, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, and it was totally live. And apparently, and they told us this, that they they never have Western uh, soloists come in and do live anything, especially interviews, because apparently somebody, I don't know who it was, God, and as soon as they were on stage, they were handed the mic. They started doing this whole anti-communist political thing. And it uh-huh. was like mm-hmm. on, you know, for, it was just bad. So yeah. we were somehow allowed to do that anyway. We had a live interview. My awkward moment was I was supposed to say Hunan Ni hao, mm-hmm. right? To the city Hunan. And so I was the only one with a lapel mic for the interview. And I was like, don't fuck this up. You know, I didn't know, I didn't know how to, if I was going to mess it up. I was like so nervous. yeah, And, and, the the stage itself was like this indoor. It was enormous. It was like seven thousand people that were in this just the room. It was huge, right. which is already the biggest at the time was the biggest. Never
0: mind I, the other half a billion.
1: Billion people. <laughs> yeah, it was just and it was freezing. It was supposed to be the spring festival. Everyone was wearing winter coats, and so the lady they call her the Oprah of China, but really right. she's like ten times more famous than Oprah because Oprah in China would be like you know way bigger so yeah, she's yeah. a superstar she like owns the earth uh-huh. and she's amazing she's wonderful like everything about a perfect interviewer and she does her whole thing in chinese and then she turns to me and that was like say ni anyhow <laughs> and i like felt the need to project to this huge huna ni hao, how, how, how it was <laughs> yeah. like the most awkward shouty thing i had ever done on stage because the mic was way too loud anyway so then and then i had to perform the piece Which I sing the high C in the end. Uh And the camera, they knew that I was the the lead singer. That's what Uh they thought. They didn't have anyone that spoke English to tell, to to communicate with us. And so I had a microphone on my cheek. I had one on my lapel. I had one on my bell. They wanted to get the lead singer's voice. Uh Little did they know I had one note that I would (laughs) sing right at the end. And like by the time that moment happened, they were probably like, I don't hear the lead singer. You hear the lead singer? Turn up his volume. I hit the high C and it's the most glorious, (laughs) glorious thing. It was just, the whole thing was so bizarre yeah. because I, my whole life, were like, please don't get famous for pl- singing like a operatic soprano. Yeah. <laughs> and here I am on live TV. That video on YouTube. I think that's part of number-
0: you wanted to get famous for singing an operatic. <laughs> I <see. laughs>
1: I finally realized I'm like, I just want to be famous. I don't care what it is. Yeah. Nah, I just. It. It was. That was. I just. That was such a strange uh, event and so thrilling. I would say that's probably the one. But the Ryan Anthony so- one.
2: It's on YouTube. Is that you can
1: see it on YouTube? But <laughs> so one of the bad things about this, and probably why we didn't get gigs from it, the they didn't really know how to t- to mic brass. And anyone that knows brass instruments knows that the first thing you want to not do is take a lapel mic and scotch tape it in the bell,
0: sure. which is
1: what they did. Now it sounded great in the room because it was an enormous room. Yeah, and it was just giant speakers pumping sound into the room. But when we watched the show, it's like a five hour show by the way that plays on loop for like a month. So that oh, that half billion is like. A fraction of what it actually gets over the month. Yeah, and in the uh, when we went back and watched it on loop, when it looped the first time in our hotel, the sound from the lapel mic was literally a direct feed to the okay. television speakers. The trombone was like, "Oh my god!" The worst sound you could possibly imagine. Yeah, but the singing was great. They knew how to mic that. So you knew how to sing, right? And I, right, I was a professional. Yeah, but anyway, so the YouTube video is the video that was ripped from the TV show, but with the audio from our manager who was filming it with oh, an iPhone okay. three. iPhone three. Whoa! It's <laughs> like yeah, it was back then. That's a while
0: ago, yeah. even though it wasn't a while ago, like in the grand scheme of things, you know, like we're in the age of the iPhone, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's true.
1: Yeah. iPhone three. That's almost as bad as iPhone, you know, two
0: S. I mean, imagine trying to like send an email on an iPhone three. You know, it
2: would like, never happen. Th- <laughs>
0: I think I had an iPhone three, or maybe I had a four, something like that.
2: I had a four too. I I really
0: respect when you see somebody who still has like a really old phone, you know? Yeah. That just like is like I'm I'm anti upgrade, like whatever. It's respectable and it's in its own weird way. It's
1: more and more difficult to actually pull that off though. Just nothing works.
0: Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's not like a
1: car. You know, (laughs) my
0: brother had a flip phone up until this year. He just, I mean, that's cool. That probably worked. It d- it did work. And also, like, he just doesn't care about any of the social media. Like, with email, he's like, I'll check it once a week. You know, he's a firefighter in Brooklyn. Like, who nice. cares? I'm not going to check my email, you know? Yeah, like, not you
1: call the fireman. Like, yeah. please, come <laughs> my bed. Please check your
0: email. Right. I don't think a musician could get away without checking oh. their email every day. But uh, certainly he does. Oh,
1: yeah. I know a few that have tried. <laughs> it's terrible.
0: Yeah. So last question here. Speaking of all the science stuff we said, I mean, you can make this a musical fact, a science fact, a mathematical <laughs> fact. But what's a fact that that's powerful to you that you think everyone should know that maybe not a lot of people do know?
1: <laughs> I guess I can't use the the I can't use the Everettian interpretation because it's not a fact <laughs> per se.
0: Ah, true. It is yes.
1: mind-boggling, <laughs> but it might not be true. Might not be correct. Um. I'm blown away by a lot of things. Yeah. This is tough, I have to say. If you want to edit out that thinking, by the way, those of you that have just tuned back in after yeah. that edit, that was 45 minutes. Yeah, he thought for silent. 45
0: minutes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm back. And I still have no answer, but um, I th- I think that what's blown me away in recent years, that is a fact, at least, um as far as, you know, you can go into how you define fact. But um, the fact that, you know, we're brought up being taught that the world is made of atoms and it's like kind of mind boggling to learn that as a kid, like, well, what the hell? So then it's like this like orbiting ball around us, a, a bigger ball. And like, mm-hmm. and then you start asking things like we talked about, like, well, how does a chair work? And, but then you f- more recently I learned, it's like, well, actually that's not really the fundamental reality. It's fields, interacting fields, right? That's what is fundamental. And maybe, it'll be turn out to be something else, strict theory or something else inside. But to me thinking about that really, really puts things into a weird perspective because it's just another punch to the confidence we have in our perceptions, which are so easily fooled. So easily. um, A magician does it all the time. A magician (laughs) does it all the time. And that's, if you, if you don't know, Darren Brown's book. Oh, I love Darren Brown. You know it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, I I haven't read his book, but I I watched. We watched watched his um, series, like the manipulation. I think it's called the Push.
1: Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Terrifying. he's unlike other, you know, mentalists. He he hates that there's people out there that that use their skills as magicians to pretend that there are superpowers that exist in the world. And he's like, hey, guys. I'm making money from those skills. They're tricks. That's the whole point.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, <laughs> that might, there, there's that another might guy t- that does that too and I really love he's like I just don't this works because I'm really good at fooling you, not because I I have some supernatural anything. Right. And I mean the hypnosis part that Darren Brown does, it doesn't work on everybody, right? He right. he filters out so that he gets highly suggestible of people but even then it's amazing that it's amazing so in this in this Netflix documentary um or whatever you would call that um for people that don't know it i think it's still on Netflix worth checking out he opens it by saying he's going to convince four four people to push someone off of a roof oh god and you just think well what could possibly happen to get a a normal non-murdery type of person to push <laughs> someone off of a roof and I guess I don't want to spoil it, but let's just say there's definitely some pushing that
1: happens. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, in one episode, he has, he pulls people off the street, but he, th- I love that he gives you the setup. He's like, when people are are in a site, a uh, state of heightened, it could be like excitement or like, there's a, there's like something going on, you know, mm-hmm. it could be fear, you know, he's done things with Ouija boards that are really cool. Yeah. You know, he gets them scared and then they start seeing things. They see, I mean, he's like, filming there's nothing there yeah and he tells them how it works afterwards and they still then they don't even believe him because they're the ones that experienced but but he does this thing where he has these total strangers come off the street and he pulls them together he has them lock eyes right and like the fact that it's so uncomfortable and intense is a big part of this Mm like why it works touching each other's temples and he form a crowd forms and, like to increase the intensity, and he has them read each other's names, first names first, and then last names in front of the crowd. And not only is the crowd blown away, but they themselves are like, "Holy shit! How yeah. did you know that?" And then they go on to like describe each other's past, and they're they're like nearly crying because they can't even believe this is happening. Yeah. And afterwards, he's like, "Well, what actually happens is the there's so much pressure to succumb to the trick working." that subconsciously yeah. they believe whatever the other person says yes 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 Please, yes. it's like and it sounds so simple but what the skill is of course setting it up so that that it works. and of course they filter out the ones that they don't but sure. he does this on stage you know it's not like right. he's he's not just editing i mean but i would i would put that up there as a tie the fact that there i mean I think we're all hopefully willing to admit that our perceptions are easily fooled but on that level and i read that book by derek brown it's called um darren brown tricks of the mind mm-hmm. because derek sivers who might be my all-time hero is in a in a talk with tim ferris actually said okay if you haven't read Terence brown's tricks of the mind read it it's changed the way i think like it permanently changed the way i think yeah and i read it and actually that's what got me going on to so the sean carroll arguing with these various free will people
0: and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and the theists. Yeah. Gotcha. Which
1: really changed my life. So it was, and it was crazy. Um, actually thinking about that was where it actually started, but that's, That's,
0: yeah, the Darren Brown stuff, man, that, that, that's enough to make you a little bit uneasy just to know that. Yeah your perceptions, I mean, bias doesn't exist at the level of thinking only. It exists at literally what data you think you're getting, you know?
1: Yes. <laughs> oh, and it's so relevant now because politically, I think it was a lot easier. Have you seen David Letterman's new show where he interviews like these really huge guests? Oh, our, uh, friend, our very friend Matt recommended intimate. it,
0: but we haven't checked it out yet.
1: There's, well, I, I only saw a few episodes and there was one with Jay-Z and I didn't really know much i know his i've heard his famous songs but i don't really listen to hip-hop that much and Mm. i didn't really know i just i always i actually heard him speak more than i've heard his music just because i love i love the guy more and i don't really listen to hip-hop that much yeah and um what was the connection here anyway he says oh yeah he says the one of the great things and i was sort of afraid when he said this but about having trump be president uh up until now is that It's forced us to kind of reckon with a lot of things that we wouldn't have normally had to think about. Like, it's really easy, especially if you're white, especially if you're male, to sort of not even acknowledge a lot of really terrible things going on. Like, the data
0: doesn't even come across your screen.
1: It doesn't even come across – and then it could – and you can easily brush off, like, well – like, I even to myself, and I'm, I feel so horrible admitting this, but it's true. Like, I felt like, and I became more aware of it because the onboarding for uh, to teach at Ithaca College was really intense. And they were trying to make you not be um, un- oblivious to, you know, biases yep. like this. And I think they did a great job. But it was not as good of a job as the <laughs> as <laughs> as president, <laughs> you know. Um, And, and also, uh, things escalating to the point they have now but um it yeah i think that do you remember that laurel fr-
0: Yenny thing that that is, uh, went the um <clears throat> the recording that it was like last year or 2 years ago yeah. there there was a a sound recording that became really popular and went viral online yes. where mm-hmm. some people heard laurel and cer- certain people heard yummy. who Yemmy. Was
1: so weird yeah. yeah
0: and i just I think like it's so relevant to like politics to any kind of argument you're in with someone it's like Take a pause. It's possible you're not seeing or hearing or reading the same version of reality, and it's possible that it's none of our faults. It's just right. bias exists at the subconscious level where you don't even know what your ears and eyes are going to build as as reality for you. Um, oh, gosh, that gets into a whole thing uh, that I won't even start, but I'll just, right. there, there's a guy I'm forgetting. His, oh, Donald Hoffman. And he has a theory of consciousness called the user interface theory. And it's kind of like when you look at your computer desktop, you know, that's not what's really going on. It's its an interface the, so that you can interact with it. And so his claim is not, as, very much not Sean Carroll. His claim is that base reality is consciousness. And, and you know, it's kind of a, a form of panpsychism where everything has some amount of consciousness, but, like, who are we to think that what we're seeing and touching and the mathematical models we build, why is that right. real real you know right it's, it's a it's it's an even more mind bender than just normal consciousness it's it, I can't even do it justice, but it's called the user interface theory,
1: yeah, I've heard about that. that's I mean i I think the thing that I appreciate about um at least Sean Carroll's point of view though. And maybe this is, maybe this is actually just pointing out your point is as underlining your point that like, how the heck are you supposed to know? Mm-hmm. And that's that you, yeah. Did, did your I brain break? switching sides. I can't <laughs> yeah. decide which side I'm freaking on.
0: That's what I love about these things though. It's a, you know, and I, I always wonder like from the psychology perspective, like, is it sort of like left brain, right brain? Like that's kind of your right. internal dialogue, you know? Like the the right hemisphere is sort of big picture oriented. It's meant to deal with novel situations and chaos. And the left hemisphere right. is usually where language is for people. It's dealing with order and rules. And and the left hemisphere becomes psychotic without the balance of the right. And the right hemisphere is like tripping on acid without the <laughs> grounding of the left, you know?
1: I mean, it's weird when you think about the fact that when it comes down to which, you know. Belief system you decide to go along with, and not just like whether you decide to be religious or not, and which religion, and that, but like just like whether you decide you're gonna accept reality as it is, or dive deeper, or how deep deep to go. It just comes down to what's most convincing. Mm -hmm. And like the only reason the scientific method is mostly what people agree is the superior way is because it's more convincing because you can logically form steps to how you got there
0: and it's so powerful you can build spaceships with it you know right i mean nobody's building spaceships with buddhism as much as so uh, many beautiful truths come out of buddhism they're not objective (laughs) (laughs) truths
1: i think it was a yeah it was a good choice i
0: think it was a wise philosopher that once said you can't build spaceships from buddhism
1: (laughs) right (laughs) I think we should end (laughs) it there then. (laughs) That's fantastic. And by the way, this is not, I love Buddhism. It's not, I'm not Buddhist, but I think if I had to choose, that'd probably be my choice.
0: Oh yeah, me too. I always say um, the whole, we were, was it a couple episodes ago, we were talking about the baby in the bathwater problem with religion that like too many people throw out the baby when they're getting rid of all the bullshit in religion. And Buddhism has the best ratio of like truths you can extract in a secular way without having to believe in supernatural things. Just like truth right. about how the mind works from the subjective experience, you know?
1: Right. It's actually astounding at how how uh, meaningful it, it still is, even with all the progress that's been made in Western yeah. psychological... I mean, I it syncs up Western, so well with it, Western. right? It I mean, syncs up really well with it. It's pretty astounding. I mean, there's some weird things that... There's a lot of things that sync up a lot of religions with modern yeah. concepts of thought, but... But but it's there's a lot more weird things that can conf- conflict in a way that's like all right you either have to say that it's wrong or you're right. really stretching it you know right. but it would, yeah but they were always vague enough that it's like yes yes I could say they right those yeah, people sure, sure.
0: Who, those <laughs> <I was> Buddhists
1: <laughs> those, them Buddhists. <laughs>
0: I mean for me the best one is like the the modular model of consciousness that you're and this really helps me with performing too so when I get nervous I don't go I'm nervous or I have to play like it's just mm-hmm. like there are there are different modules that make up a person and they're all fluttering in and out of awareness and a lot That's of them beautiful. are just rumbling under the under the 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 awareness of consciousness I mean 99% of your brain is subconscious activity and you're just the 1% you know Hey, we're all right. the one percent in something, at least. Maybe not economy, but
1: <laughs> I never had anything. I never had any beef with the one percent. For those of you that are the one percent listening, give yeah. me a call.
0: I don't think we have a lot of one percent listeners, but <laughs> you a lot know. of musicians. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, man. This is fun.
1: My pleasure. Yeah. yeah. I hope I didn't. I hope I didn't offend anybody with any of the the more the topics that I've never said in public before. Oh, but, uh, I, I,
0: I think if right. anything, this whole podcast is offending Sean Carroll and anyone else that heard us try to represent their views. You know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> if I offended Sean Carroll, I'd be honored because that means that I've said oh. something specific enough that he could actually be upset by it.
0: I sent a tweet out yesterday just like with um, somebody, uh, some podcast service, I forget what it was, maybe Podchaser or something. They were just like, oh, recommend recommend your favorite podcast. And so I'll... I was like, oh, if I recommend my podcast and another, it won't seem as bad. So I was like, oh, you should check out my podcast. I'll shamelessly plug that. And then I said, but I also love Sean Carroll's Mindscape. And then he favorited it. So I was like, Sean Carroll read what I wrote for a moment.
1: <laughs> yes, I have a similar, I have a screenshot of a response he said to me once, too. Oh, yeah? It's like... I, I was reading his book, The Big Picture, which uh-huh. I still think is like one of the greatest books ever written. I really like it.
0: <laughs> I'll check it thought. out. I mean, he was talking about it today and I was like, okay, i oh, yeah. going on Amazon.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, his newer book is amazing too, but it's like you have to really want to know what he's talking about. Hidden, Something deeply hidden, right? Something deeply hidden, exactly. Yeah. But it's much more about the specific thing and he's convincing of everything. It's very comp- – I don't know. I don't think I, if that was my first popular science book, I would not get it. Sure. That's yeah. what I think. But, but Big Picture talks you through how like – my memory of it is like almost how everything works. I was reading it thinking I am not going to let this be one of those books that I read. And then that's that I'm going to remember everything he wrote. And I took notes every single time I opened that book. And I have like pages of notes of the digital notes of the books, notes like random thing, random facts about like, how you can make the connection between field theory and how DNA works. I mean, like really yeah. amazing. He, I think he puts it together <clears throat> so beautifully
0: and, and melds it with philosophy as far as, I mean, it, it does that yeah. book like the big picture book? Is that the one where he does a lot of philosophy too?
1: And he lays the groundwork of what you need to understand. Like he, he shows you the framework of thinking that a philosopher has and why it's the same that yeah. anyone that's, You know, contemplating these big questions should have. And it gives you some easy vocabulary to use so that you can discuss these topics and not, you know, get lost. One of the things that I was really appreciative of, because this happens in Trumpet, by the way, to to, to relate it to that, is that there's a lot of words that don't have exactly the same meaning in different domains. Yeah. And like, and a lot of the discussions that he's having, or especially, I shouldn't say that he's having discussions that are about theism versus atheism, for example, a lot of the arguments made are, uh, by both parties, are often hinged on them finding some, like, inconsistency in their thinking, but it, like, it yeah. might not actually be. It's just, like, the way that they're using a word that sure. just doesn't make sense. A word like believe, for example, like, right. back, do, do you mean the talking
0: part of my brain says I believe, <laughs> or do you mean the way I act, in, in, in which includes things I don't even understand, because I'm just that one percent, you know?
1: Right. Or real. I've, like That's an or easier real one yeah. to say. Like,
0: yeah. Exactly, like is, real, like, like as real? Morpheus said, right? <laughs> what is real, Neo? <laughs> you know,
1: what is real? Yeah, and so you could establish. He establishes like this is what I mean by real, and then it only means real in this way. Like I'm not right. saying real is means fundamental. Yeah, and anyway, I think it's fantastic. But um, yeah,
0: nice. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna buy that book because I I love. I, I mean, I don't like physicists who throw out the philosophy thing like whatever, you know, because. The more I got into that psychology, consciousness stuff, I realized like you need both. Like without the yeah, philosophy, that the the, it, the the particles banging around up quarks, down quarks, that that's not meaningful. The meaning is something else that we bring to the table. You know, right. whatever whatever that's that a big is piece to leave out. <laughs> it's a pretty big piece. <laughs> you're the
1: one doing the calculating. I mean, yeah, you have to right. factor that. Yeah, you're right.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, thanks for coming on, man.
1: My pleasure. I one hope one you don't to have to edit out
0: too much up. of it. Oh, I, I usually don't have the time to edit much. So that that forty five oh. minutes of you thinking your your most <laughs> facts is it'll be in there. <laughs> it's making it. <laughs> yes. Any other questions, Bianca? you good? I
2: think yeah.
1: I'm good. Cool. Please, no more.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. See you, man. Thanks.
1: All right, great <laughs> to see you guys. Stay Thank safe. You.
0: All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Exploring Kodawari. If you enjoyed it, we hope you'll consider sharing it on social media and with friends. You can also help us out by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Those help us more than you would think. And if you'd like to help us out in a more substantial way, consider going over to our website to make a donation through PayPal. Links are in the episode notes for this. You can do this as a one-time donation or a recurring monthly donation. All of that support will help us to set aside time in order to create content for the podcast and the blog. And finally, Please get in touch with us and say hi, either on social media or privately through email. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.